Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Certainly appreciate being included as a part of your day. And we've got a good program coming. That's fine. Not being too proud to say we're going to be talking with Ted Seifert of Saner Ag Hedge here in just a moment. Taking a look at these markets, they do continue to remain volatile. We've got some other concerns percolating in the outside markets. The fear of this bank contagion spreading remains entrenched here. And Ted will give us his insights on how it could play out as we move towards the weekend. In segment two, Brian Ernest, the lead economist from CoBank, is going to join us. He studies the protein markets, and he's been watching this food inflation over the past two years. But Brian has found a silver lining. We'll talk about some values out there in the chicken wing and breast world before talking with Ron Lamberti here in segment three about some of the recent legislation that's been introduced to promote E15 year round. We've got some progress happening in Washington, D.C. Ron will fill us in on the details. But without further ado, we do have Ted Seifer joining us now. And Ted, as you take a look at the activity in the outside markets here, what is on the trade's mind? What are we thinking about here this Thursday? Well, we're, we're looking at interest rates. We're looking at bank difficulties. We're looking at inflation and how those two contrasting factors are going to affect the economy as a whole. Uh, and how they're going to affect inflation. Uh, because you have a Fed and a government as a whole that's walking a very, very fine line of wanting to fix inflation, but at the same time, it's what raising the rates they like they have been. The Fed has put a lot of pressure on our banking system, and we've seen banks in a lot of trouble. So our, if we're bailing out the, the banks, that's inflationary. If we're raising interest rates, that's fighting inflation that's, I'm not going to say deflationary because we're not quite there yet. So how does that all pan out? What is the Fed going to do next? Do they do they stop raising interest rates or even lower for now in order to give the banks relief? Or do they continue to raise interest rates to fight inflation, but then also do things to bail out the banks, which again, creates inflation. So yeah, they're in a really tough spot right now. And it, it leaves the markets in a very finicky, undecided territory. We really don't know what to do with that. Ted, you mentioned the Fed is going to have to make this decision. Do we continue to hike rates as we have been, as Jerome Powell says he is wanting to do? Yeah. Or do they bow to the pressure coming on the other side and, and stop this? They've got to make that decision by what, next Wednesday or Thursday yes. is the next Fed meeting? Yes. Uh, and, and if it's me, I'm raising rates another half point. Okay. Uh, I, I think... I think you have to keep the pedal to the metal on fighting inflation, especially if you're going to be doing the things like you have been doing for uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and, and, and Signature. And there's uh, two other regional banks that are really in the hot seat right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them is mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so this is hitting close to home. I mean, this isn't just a coastal issue. It sounds like no, necessarily. No. Um, one of the and I don't want to name names. No, whatever. But uh, uh, one of them is is directly in the heart of the Midwest. Okay. All right. So this spread, we might not be done talking about it. Yes. Yeah. Contagion risk. That's that's the concern. And you you look at the stock market. It's very nervous about what is going to happen. Um, it, the thing is, if, I mean, if we, if we just print money to bail out the banks, that's just, again, that's more money that we're printing to offset these higher rates that we're, we're putting Which would so, mean higher rates down the line yes. to suck back in all the additional so this, money that's come out. I would imagine if they're not very careful, this can really spiral, right? So yes, this is a very fine line that they're walking and it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Ted, we've got ex elevated values. I think we can say here throughout the commodity spectrum right yes. now, corn, beans, wheat prices have come down mm -hmm. obviously since the, the height of 2022, but they're still elevated. Mm -hmm. Is the risk of this contagion spreading severe enough in your mind that we need to be pulling the trigger and getting some some risk managed on these elevated commodity prices ahead of perhaps the March 31st one or or any of this other data that could be coming out? I think that you really need to be looking at things before even the Fed makes their decision next week and, mm -hmm. and or makes their decision public next week. Uh, we're at elevated prices. And yes, we have this about 45-day or now 40-day window of seasonal uh, seasonality that's positive, right? Um, 
we generally kind of rally a little bit into planting corn and beans kind of jockeying for acres, but that's usually coming from much lower prices. I'm not sure we're in a position where we need to quote unquote buy acres for either crop at this point. So I don't know if that seasonality works. I think with what's going on in the world today and even what's going on in individual grain fundamentals, being at this high price, being at these high prices is a gift. And there's a lot of risks to the downside, especially with a corn crop that this is the highest risk corn crop that we've ever planted. Uh, we've, put so much into this corn crop we can't afford to be at 480 uh at harvest or 440 something like that and but these are very seriously possible numbers if we have a good growing season and we don't have a major weather issue which at the moment you got to say uh, drought monitor looks so much better than it has in the yes. last few years uh you've got a longer term forecast of la nina going to el nino which is typically associated with trend line or maybe better yields all signs at the moment are pointing pointing towards a really good crop. And if that happens, on top of all this demand destruction that we've seen over the last couple of years with the high prices that we've been carrying, oh boy, you know, look out below. And that's the problem. Remember 2012, you know, we we did price rationing and then we had to go back and, and try to reown that demand, rebuy that demand. Well, it takes a lot longer time to rebuy that demand than it does to ration it. It's taken two years to ration. What does that mean for when we have to come back and buy it again? I don't know. I'm worried there's a lot of downside risk. I think there there's a lot of different marketing tools that you can use right now to really protect yourself to the downside. And some of them leave the upside open uh, in case we do get a weather issue, in case inflation does run, run rampant again. You can argue a case on either side of the market right now. And whenever that's the case, and especially when you're at higher prices, you really got to do something to protect the downside. That's a great point. As you think about protecting that downside, because these prices are so elevated, we've got a number of farmers, as you well know, Ted, who have never used the futures and the options markets to manage their risk. Mm -hmm. This might be a time to stick that nose in there, learn a little bit about options. Is that what you're looking at as uh, your preferred price risk management tool? Yeah. So uh, one way or another, I mean, first of all, HDAs are not a terrible thing, right? This doesn't even have to be done on the board. This can be done with your grain elevator and things like that. Um, but, you know, there's also a certain amount of crop that you're willing to go to before we get planted. And, you know, HDAs don't allow for really upside potential. So there, there are combinations of things that we can do to create floors while leaving the upside open. And one of my favorite things to do right now is to use those HTAs to lock in a cash price, but then re-own calls. They've gotten quite a bit cheaper in the last couple of weeks because of the, the big breakouts to the downside that you had in corn and beans flirting with the same thing. So make, make the HTA, you've got, your, you've got your, your board price locked in, you have no downside risk at that point. Mm -hmm. Prices could go to zero or go negative like crew did, they're not going to, by the way. <laughs> but you, you're you're covered. That checks all the coming. way, yep. wherever, right? And then you come in and you own some calls. Uh, so if we do get a weather issue, we do get a whatever it is, you can you can participate in that higher that upside as well. Now it's not going to be a one to one, but you can. And so that that strategy, by the way, is called a synthetic put. You know, um, a friend of mine in the industry buy puts. You know, right? Uh, so. Yes, buy puts is is kind of what we're talking about, uh, and that's a viable strategy, but this is a little bit of a more sophisticated strategy, and I think works well, too. That's perfect. Folks, that's Ted Seifert. He's the head over at Zaner Ag Hedge. Joined us today, Ted, as always. Thanks for your insight. Thanks, buddy. And folks, stay with us. We'll be talking chicken with Brian Ernest, the lead protein economist from CoBank here when AOA returns. Stay with us, folks. There'll be more coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we're turning our focus from the commodity markets to the products of those commodity markets, which for a lot of it is food at the retail or restaurant level. And it's certainly no surprise if you have been to a grocery store or a restaurant in the past two years, food inflation remains with us. Joining us now for an update on food inflation and perhaps a silver lining therein is Brian Ernest. He serves as the lead protein economist for CoBank. And Brian, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Mike. Uh, pleasure as always. You know, we did just get some pretty recent data on the impact of inflation on the food system here in the month of February. Brian, is that data you've got handy? Can you take a take a look at it and tell us how do we do food inflation wise last month? Well, I guess, you know, the inflation still kind of hovers uh, around that 6% area. So it was down a little bit from uh, the strong number in January. Um, but overall, consumers still seeing high prices across the board. Um, and, and food inflation is one of those things that as it's a, a staple, you know, an everyday basket for folks, it's one that's, that's highly uh, looked at as well. And, um, you know, certainly something that uh, the Fed is using as, as a monitor when they're looking at, uh, you know, making those, uh, those changes to interest rates. So something that they're incorporating in their decision making process. Absolutely. Food prices, they are tuned into those. Brian, you know, one of the ongoing stories as this food price, food price inflation has stayed with us is how prevalent it's been in the protein sector in particular, whether we're talking beef or dairy or eggs. It seems like that's where we saw the impact of inflation first. But Brian, it sounds like in that same sector, we're starting to see some pullbacks. Can you tell us where you've seen some price drops here in the wholesale meat business? Yeah, I think in particular, I wanted to do a little bit of research looking at uh, where there may be opportunity for consumers to see a little bit of relief. Uh, and, and in the meat case, that, that looks like it's it's at least potentially 
available, uh, you know, the spring and, and, and summer uh, in the chicken side of the aisle, um, looking at, you know, where wholesale values were for in particular breast meat and wings, uh, you know, saw that uh, decrease heavily in the fourth quarter last year. Um, and in my mind, that's that's a good time for uh, retailers to start thinking about what they want to feature for spring and summer, thinking about grilling opportunity. Um, and, and as well, you know, the, the Super Bowl and March Madness time frame kind of represents somewhat of the peak for uh, wing disappearance. So, you know, the, the really low prices in both those two in particular items, uh, I, I think, provides an opportunity for the marketing channels to, to put chicken forefront in, in the consumer who uh, is, is looking for a value item at, at this time of the year. Brian, now our listeners who are not plugged into the world of agriculture might be listening to you say that chicken appears to be the discount value protein going forward, and they just finished spending 5 or $7 on a carton of eggs. So the question might be, how can we see such breaks on the poultry chicken broiler side of the market and see much fewer come downs in the price of eggs? How does this chicken industry differ between those two? Hey, Brian, we still got you on the line there. Did we lose you? Well, folks, I apologize. I don't know what is going on there with Brian. We are going to try to work to get him reconnected here. Stay with us. Brian, when you get back in here, just jump in and say hello if you can. And, uh, and we'll, hey, there he is. There we got Brian back. We got you there, Brian? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I think there's a connection issue, but... Um... Uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I think looking at the, you know, the two different marketing channels and two different production channels, uh, eggs that are produced for human consumption come from a, a separate line than than what those are for chicken production. Uh, and really the, the supply situation for eggs for, for uh, consumption that come from a carton form for folks at the grocery store, those were the, the supplies that really saw this heavy impact from high path avian influenza. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, chicken production didn't necessarily see that strong impact. And, and that's really where uh, these strong prices came from. Looking at those CPI numbers, uh, you know, egg, table egg prices came down a little bit in February, uh, what consumers are seeing at the store. So a little bit of relief there, but still up 55 percent from from year ago. So, um, you know, while it's improved a little bit that they're still seeing inflation on, on that side of the aisle um, and and. From a production standpoint, uh, robust figures from from broiler meat production or, or chicken in general, what what folks can consider chicken, uh, was was much stronger in the the fourth quarter last year. All right, Brian. So we do have ample stocks of chicken out there. I understand one of the ways we measure them is by stocks in cold storage. What do we have just on hand, waiting in the freezer, and how have those stocks performed here over the past six months? Well, for, for breast meat inventories, we've seen those rise, uh, you know, over the last uh, 14 to 16 months. Um, and they typically rise during the winter months as, as disappearance gets a little bit more sluggish. Um, but the values reported by USDA uh, sitting around all-time highs indicate that uh, we're amply supplied. Now, you know, that, that may look like a, a burdensome amount in storage, but really it's coming from uh, historically low inventories from 2020 through 2021. So to me, that just kind of indicates that maybe we're, we've got some more supply assurance headed into this period of, of more uh, stronger demand period with uh, folks firing up their grills and putting more, you know, chicken, uh, beef and, and pork out there. Uh, you know, that, that looks like, you know, maybe after two years of, of really you know, some difficulty in terms of supply lines. Uh, maybe we're in a, a better position this year. All right. So we'll see if that is going, if those supply line improvements are going to continue to play a factor. Brian, in, in your report here that you recently wrote for CoBank, taking a look at chicken wings and breast meat, you had a segment in there on how carcass size is increasing here in the broiler segment. And as I've been talking to folks in the, the beef production, pork production, dairy production, you know, all of them are looking for ways to save costs and that's kind of reducing carcass sizes. What is it about poultry that's leading to growth in their carcasses? Well, it's, it's it been kind of imbalanced. Um, back in 2020, I looked at the data then and we saw 
uh, you know, a slowdown in, in um, the amount of, of birds being processed. A lot of that was COVID related with, with labor issues. Um, and that backing up kind of caused those birds to get bigger, um, as, as happened in other areas of, of animal agriculture as well. Um, and, and, you know, as, as the labor situation improved a little bit, um, you know, it didn't necessarily see that weight gain, but saw more birds coming into the system. Um, and this really has kind of been a long-term trend that, that overall the efficiencies in the broiler industry and, and um, you know, through the system uh, have added weight uh, to the, the point that um, we saw record live weights being reported September 2020, and uh, that happened again in the next year. Um, so, you know, adding on that additional weight, you know, although it, it adds additional meat uh, to the carcass, still have that age old problem of only having two birds per or two wings per bird uh, four if you count the usable segments. Um, so, you know, for, for wing uh, promoters that, you know, still promotes a problem if, if they're growing uh, meat production through, through larger bird weights. So uh, that's one thing I kind of took a look at of, you know, just not only how much production, but also looking at the, the harvest rates, the slaughter rates, uh, and we saw a significant reduction in 2021, and that, that really started to kind of come back uh, in, in 22, kind of at the end of the year um, and, and um, trailing into 2023. So in, in terms of availability, that's really kind of helped out uh, wings overall, uh, while also adding to, to pounds per bird. Brian, as you were digging into the industry, do you think it's in an expansionary phase? Did they have high enough profits over the last couple of years to justify some new barns for broilers? Typically, that'd be the case. I think looking at, um, you know, how, how the, the overall industry did in 2022, it would suggest that, hey, we're ready for some expansion and additional, uh, you know, additional capacity in the industry. But I, I think there's still a couple things that kind of, you know, give, give a little bit of reason for pause. Uh, and one of those is this high uh, feed input uh, situation. Another one is labor constraints, finding enough labor to work these plants. So, um, you know, putting in a new plant is, is a difficult decision. It's really just based on, you know, those two uh, issues. Um, but overall, there's there's some other factors that are kind of playing into maybe some hesitancy uh, here for, for the industry overall. All right. We'll continue to watch this play out. Brian, if we've got listeners who want to read your report on chicken wings and breast meat, where can they go to find it? Uh, they can head over to cobank.com. All of our research is there uh, that we cover throughout the various different segments that support uh, rural America. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Cobank.com. We have been talking with Brian Ernest. He serves as the lead protein economist there at the Cobank Knowledge Division. Brian, as always, we appreciate you joining us with your insight. My pleasure, Mike. Thank you. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking with Ron Lamberti, Senior Vice President of the American Coalition for Ethanol, about some recent legislation introduced in D.C. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
Well, as we take a look here at this market trade early on, we see relatively quiet mixed activity in grains. Corn getting some support once again, being held up by another sale to China. Flash sale of the morning wire three days in a row now, bringing this week's total to more than 75 million bushels of old crop corn. And these sales are expected to show up in next Thursday's weekly USDA export sales report. As we saw a fairly decent uh, export sales report for the week here this week already, uh, but definitely going to be watching to see how this uh, looks next week with these big sales on the books. Now, China has to dramatically pull back on the scope of surplus rice stocks that it makes available to livestock feeders this year, so that might be a reason why they're bringing in corn. Also, we're watching to see South America fresh demand drawing more attention to the shrinking supply of Argentine corn with some private production estimates now dropping into the low 30s uh, for million metric tons amid planting delays that increase risks for Brazil's safrita corn crop. Also, negotiations continuing over the extension of the Ukraine grain deal with the current agreement expiring this weekend. So we're watching that closely. Agreement probably going to be extended for at least 60 days, but there's still a lot of back and forth over that. Watching the outside markets, what is happening in the trade there, how that's impacting things. The Credit Suisse uh, has been given a bailout, so to speak. The Swiss National Bank gave a lifeline to them, extending a loan of up to $54 billion to the troubled bank, whose problems go beyond the recent rise in interest rates. So a lot of economic concerns still playing into this market and really outweighing the supply and demand fundamentals. Livestock trade mixed to lower here in early action. Weekly export sales rebounding from last week in both beef and pork. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Ladies and gentlemen, AOA continues today and we're turning our focus to biofuels. Recently saw some action from the EPA. It was appreciated, but late. We still need to see Congress get itself into gear and get some legislation passed. And that legislation has been introduced. Joining us now for an update on what is happening in D.C. with regard to ethanol, Ron Lamberti, the senior vice president of the American Coalition for Ethanol, joins us now. And Ron, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. No problem. Let's, let's talk, Ron, about this uh, Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act. This had some bipartisan support, and it was introduced fairly recently, wasn't it? Yeah, I think what uh, this week, it was uh, Tuesday, maybe, I think late Tuesday it was introduced. And basically, it, um, it allows the same waiver for E15 that, uh, well, I guess, blends above 10% for uh, the one we now get for, for E10. So that's the whole subject of the, the original waiver that was given back in the, uh, 20, the Trump administration and then the lawsuit that was overturned and all the stuff we've been dealing with. And the simple fact is that E15's got a little bit lower reed vapor pressure uh, than, e than E10 does. and you know, it's a, it's a better fuel, a cleaner fuel, and a less expensive fuel, which is always a big deal. And and uh, 
I think we're finally going to get something moving. I think I had read the last I checked. I think I heard that there were um, a bunch of co-sponsors on it, but uh, the original the original bill was uh, bipartisan. You know, uh, Republican and Democrat senators, Republican and Democrat Congress, uh, and that way you've got the bill being introduced in a way that there's not a lot of work that has to be done to to make it match. So hopefully it'll go through. Um, all sort of prompted because the you know the other thing that happened was the governor's letter that um, um, said let's take the waiver away from everything. So. Um, a lot of you know a lot of moving pieces but hopefully that's this is the thing that finally gets it done there are a lot of moving pieces rod and i'm glad you brought up that governor's letter i want to get into that but before we do let's let's wrap up our conversation on this bill the reason that we're seeing the ethanol industry fight to get this bill across the finish line here is because epa didn't grant us that waiver for 2023 on the sale of e15 nationwide did they uh, no, I mean last year, if you remember, we got a waiver because there were enough conditions in place that you know that with the war in Ukraine just having you know started to ramp up and shortages of supply chain stuff that we you know the the, this, the dreaded supply chain words we heard everywhere. So we got a waiver last year. Now you know that's something I guess we we probably should talk about too because some of those conditions still exist and. Given what uh, EPA decided and how long they waited, those things will probably we're going to need a waiver again this year for the one year. But um, yeah, what what ended up happening last year, we're going to need to happen again this year if EPA doesn't decide that they're going to uh, make the change right now. And it's they've put themselves they they you know put themselves in a box that uh, that's something like that's going to be necessary because otherwise you've got retailers and consumers basically. We've been using E15 now for uh, three years that will be able to use it next year no matter what, that for some strange reason, um, EPA, you know, basically makes it so now for a couple of months you can't. And, and uh, so, I mean, they need to fix that because all, although they seem to be understanding of all the other difficulties that it would take to enact what the uh, what's in the governor's letter, they don't seem to have much concern about the fact that people who have purchased it and people who sell it right now would have to just quit arbitrarily for three and a half months and then start up again. Um, it's just it's uh, you know something that that has to get fixed because it's it's not fair to to anybody. No, I mean, that's certainly not a way to run a business. Customers come by fuel stations, expect to see consistency. So, Ron, you mentioned we've got this piece of legislation, the uh, consumer and fuel retailer choice piece of legislation could get E15 year round here if they get it moving in Congress. We've got uh, continued pressure from biofuels groups to get that emergency E15 waiver out for 2023, like we saw in 2022. And as you mentioned, we've got a group of governors who are getting active. Can you fill us in on what those uh, what those governors are looking to do? Okay, so after the lawsuit was overturned and we had all this difficulty last year, and basically the law says that there is a waiver, a one-pound waiver for E10. What that means is one of the major levels of pollution that they monitor is reed vapor pressure. Now, Basically, gasoline has reed vapor pressure, ethanol has reed vapor pressure, they all do. It's just a measurement of how much the stuff that's in it gets into the air after you burn it. Ethanol's reed vapor pressure is lower than gasoline, but when you add it to gasoline, it increases the vapor pressure. So the number right now in the summer is nine. It's nine pounds reed vapor pressure for gasoline. Now, if you add 10% ethanol, you can have 10 pounds reed vapor pressure. But if you had 11%, it has to still be at nine. So in order to do that, what you have to do is make the RBOB, the, re, the reformulated blend stock for oxygenate blending that we see in places like Milwaukee, Chicago, um, you know, some of the larger cities where they always have RBOB going on. So it's not a really strange blend, but you have to have a lower blend of fuel and that are lower reed vapor pressure fuel to blend it to make um, a fuel that meets the nine pounds. So they do that in the summer right now in some of those cities. St. Louis is another one. And, um, you know, you, you end up with this nine-pound fuel. 
but you uh, you don't have to do that with E10. So what happens now is the governor say, well, okay, let's just use the RBOB for everything because even though 10% ethanol only goes up to 10 pounds re-vapor pressure, 15% ethanol doesn't, it's not more, it's actually a tad less. So you can blend any blend of gas and ethanol and, you know, above 10% and stay below that, that magical nine number if you're using RBOB. So the governor said, let's just take the waiver off of everything. Now, the fact is refiners don't want to do that because then gas is more expensive and, um, you know, it's cleaner. It's it's better for the environment because the the lower the reed vapor pressure is of the base, base gasoline, the less, you know, crap it has in it, frankly. So, right. right. Uh, the pollutants but, float around in the air. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But anyway, but you know what? What they're what it ends up happening is we can use any blend we want to with that. But the refiners don't want to do that. I mean, they they're going to you know their job is basically to throw a stick in the spokes of anything that tries to get more of something that they don't make. So, you know, they sued to keep it from happening, and now they're whining about not wanting to do this. But what should come out of it is that they'll say, okay, well, let's just agree to support this this other bill then that allows us to go to higher blends, um, you know, as part of the law, because when it all goes back to the start, the reason that they sued and the reason they won is because the law said 10%. And the judge ruled that it specified 10%. So that's why we're here. So I think it's, you know, hopefully what that means is that by next year, this other bill will be in place. Um, But in the meantime, we've got this real urgent need of, you know, what do we do about this year? And in order, you know, the, the EPA is supposed to answer that request, by the way, that the governor sent out within, I can't remember, it's 30 or 90 days, but they took like 230 or 290 days. So they took way too long. And that means, yeah. you know, the refiners would have to change things way too quickly and our prices would just go through the roof. And, you know, we don't want that to happen either. Wouldn't work for anybody. Ron, you mentioned that uh, we did see some partnership from the petroleum industry last year as this issue was coming to the fore. Have any of our friends in the petroleum industry signed on with this uh, particular piece of legislation so far? Yeah, I, I don't know that there's I don't know that they've, you know, officially signed on. I don't I haven't seen anything with, uh, you know, I haven't seen anything. That doesn't mean it's not out there. I just haven't seen anything yet. But the indication is that uh, the American Petroleum Institute and refiners basically support this because like i said they don't they don't really want to make you know more rbob if they don't have to um so you know they make more money selling cbob the conventional blend stock so i you know i think they're kind of in in a spot where they you know all of all of the different things they've done to try to stop us have been you know all their bluffs have been called and all their legal things have been addressed so it would be better for them. And last year, that's why they supported it. But then the year ended, and, you know, when a year ends or, uh, you know, a term of Congress ends, then every bill that's in there just drops and you got to start over. So, again, so I, mean, that, I think this is all going today. to work out. It's just, yeah, it's just a matter of what do we do this summer. So, And that summer is getting close. Folks, if you want to keep up to speed on ethanol policy, if you're looking to make sure that your local retailers can sell E15 this summer, it's now's the time to be active. And Ron, of course, the American Coalition for Ethanol, very active on these issues. If we've got listeners who want to stay up to speed, where should they go to keep up with the work you guys are doing at ACE? Yeah, our website is ethanol.org. There's an action center on there that tells you how to make comments on this stuff to uh, EPA. Um, we got a fly-in coming up if you're find yourself in D.C. and want to go with us and talk to congressional offices. It's one of the things we'll talk about uh, at the end of this month, 29th and 30th, I think it is. I guess that wrong. It, it, we it, it, Rob, I'm that. glad <laughs> you mentioned that. Yes, yeah. sir. That ace fly in March 29th and the 30th, folks. If you want to make your voice heard in D.C., check that out. It matters when farmers from the heartland are in D.C. telling the story of how this stuff impacts us. Our thanks to Ron Lamberti, Senior Vice President there at the American Coalition for Ethanol, for joining us. Ron, always appreciate your insight. Glad to do it. Thanks. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Mosaic is introducing two new biological products, Biopath and PowerCoat. With spring planting getting close, we wanted to check in with Dion Pierce, product manager at the Mosaic Companies, about what should farmers be thinking about when it comes to an early season fertilizer application. Well, the first word that comes uh, to mind is availability. Growers want to know that the fertilizer they're applying is going to make it into the plant. And by adding a biological uh, to that fertilizer program, this can help ensure that those nutrients are more readily available, especially early in the season as crops are taking up those nutrients at a rapid pace. Can you explain this relationship between biologicals and fertilizer a little bit more? Sure. So as important as fertilizer is to plant growth or health, it's also important to know that some of those nutrients that are applied are going to become tied up, that they might be inaccessible. And similar to how you mine for fertilizer, okay, like potash or phosphate, and transform those into a prill that's applied to crop, biologicals can mine the soil helping to convert fertilizer that may have been tied up into a form that plants can rarely use. We talk a lot about soil health in agriculture, Dion, particularly around sustainable agriculture. How do biologicals support the soil? Well, first I would say, you know, biologicals can help enhance microbial populations in the soil um, and they can help break down nutrients like phosphorus, making it more available. Um, We can also help build a more robust root system, right? And that's going to allow for better capture of nutrients like nitrogen. And and that's just helping to prevent runoff in some cases. And we can also have a positive impact on recycling nutrients from organic matter or soil-bound nutrients from fertilizer that may be applied in years past. And then then also improving soil tilth, making it more productive. What benefits are most important to consider when deciding whether to add a biological to your fertilizer application? Great question. Uh, To start, you want to see that early season plant growth. And then from there, it's all about optimizing nutrient use. So increased nutrient availability and uptake, and then improving nutrient utilization. And where can growers go to learn more? Well, they can find more details at cropnutrition.com, or they can also sign up to get a free corn sprint kit at cornsprint.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow on AOA, we're going to be talking with Mike Steema, the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, because there was a news announcement made yesterday, and it touches supply chains. We heard from Ted Seifert, that's still a concern in the market. We heard from Brian Ernest, that's still something that these manufacturers and these shippers are keeping an eye on. And what happened yesterday is we had a merger in the Class 1 railroads. We had Canadian Pacific merge with Kansas City Southern. Mike will give us the details on that, but it got me thinking about supply chains and logistics and that coupled with a news announcement i saw this morning folks i believe this is the announcement of the longest autonomous freight route for semi trucks kodiak robotics and forward air corporation have announced they are going to be running autonomous trucks thrice weekly between dallas and atlanta So these trucks are going to be crossing state lines. They are at the moment going to be run autonomously, though, with a safety driver in the seat. A lot of the state laws that have approved autonomous driving or truck platooning, the idea that these trucks are going to not have a person in the driver's seat, has kept state legislatures a little concerned. So much of the legislation around autonomous driving does require a safety driver. And uh, Kodiak and Forward say they are going to Stick with that. They are going to keep uh, four drivers are going to rotate between local and long haul hauling. But they do say that keeping a driver in the truck means these runs are not profitable. Uh, They aren't planning to make any money. They are planning to run these tests and trial equipment for all of 2023. And then by the time they get to 2024, that is when the company believes they will be able to start pulling drivers out of the cabs of truck, out of the cabs of trucks, rather. And they are going to be operating lines like Dallas-Fort Worth to Atlanta. And they think this is going to be the direction the industry will go. Now, it's still a long ways out. Of course, this is maybe the longest dedicated haul announcement that has been uh, released so far. And it's it's worth noting, the trucking companies are fired up about this because it is, uh, it is maybe a solution to the hour of service challenges that have bedeviled that industry for quite a while. We'll continue to stay plugged in with our friends in the trucking industry, our buddies over at OIDA and the other trucking associations, because they are watching this development very, very closely. We'll see how it plays out and what changes it could bring to the overall supply chains. Thinking about supply chains, though, folks, there was another big disruption in meat supply chains here several weeks ago. We talked about it a lot on AOA. We had the atypical case of bovine spongiform encephalopathy discovered down in Brazil, finally reported by the Brazilians. Now, we've got a little bit more data as to how that cow is impacting the beef industry down in Brazil. And, folks, it's not great for those beef producers down in Brazil. When that cow was announced, when that atypical BSE case was announced. That means Brazil had to restrict their exports of beef to China. They had an agreement in place that if an atypical or any positive uh, BSE popped up, then Brazil would have to pull their beef from the Chinese market until the folks in Beijing granted the Brazilian packers authority to move that beef back into China, which as of now, they have not done it yet. Reminder, that BSE case was discovered... uh, that BSE case was reported in Brazil. And it's worth noting, we don't know when it was discovered. And that's part of the challenge we have uh, with the the way Brasilia, Brazil reports these uh, animal diseases. It was reported on February 23rd. And as of yet, the Chinese have not agreed to let that Brazilian beef back into the country, which means, according to Reuters, Brazilian beef packers are losing between 20 and $50 million per day day as this trade band goes on. Reuters notes that this estimate is based on current beef export prices ranging between $4,800 and $5,000 per metric ton. And that's the data that Reuters has been able to source from Brazil. And they say, you know, you dollar that up over the amount of carcasses that are not moving on that big journey across the ocean. And it is having a big 
impact. It is worth noting, uh, Brazilians say that they have sent all relevant information regarding the Mad Cow case to China. They say that they have shared everything and they've told the Brazilians what is going on. Beijing so far has not made any moves. They have not made any announcements on how long it might be until those uh, until that beef is allowed back into the country. So we've got that story that we are continuing to track and we'll see if any of the American legislation to restrict Brazilian beef imports can gain traction. Of course, we've talked all three major cattle groups are in support of that ban on Brazilian beef until that country can get better about reporting these outbreaks in a timely fashion. That has been the ongoing concern with Brazil. It can be weeks, sometimes months after a disease outbreak before they finally report it to the the necessary global authorities, and it's tough to keep trust in global trade with that kind of a delay. And trade was on the minds of farmers in Texas on Wednesday. House Committee Chair Glenn Thompson held a listening session on the Farm Bill in Texas on Wednesday, and a lot of topics came up. It's a lot of the same stuff we talked about with Senator Grassley a few days ago, regulation, inflation, and concerns about farm insurance. Crop insurance, rather, is a topic of concern for these growers. And uh, Zippy Duval had the chance, the president, of course, of the American Farm Bureau, had the chance to speak at this listening session. And he said, quote, I'll tell you, what I hear is crop insurance is a cornerstone of our farm bill. Please modernize it, broaden it, and make sure it's there to help these farmers get through difficult times. Of course, concerns are growing. We spoke about it with Ted Seifert earlier in this program. This corn crop is going to be the most expensive corn crop ever planted on American soil. Managing that input risk is vital. The security provided by that revenue protection crop insurance, the folks at American Farm Bureau believe need to keep that protection around as we get on into these farm bill discussions. Now, Zippy Duval was there between uh, Representative G.T. Thompson and Austin Scott of Georgia. Uh, Austin Scott serves as the committee vice chair there in the House Ag Committee. We'll talk tomorrow with our friend Jackie Fatka from AgriPulse. Get another update from the floor in Washington, D.C. And until then, folks, have a great day. Thanks for listening to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite.